Hi, welcome to Zero Context, the show where we play and discuss the Zero Escape trilogy. I'm Nate, here with Axe. Hi. And this is episode one, where we are beginning our playthrough of the first Zero Escape game, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, or 999. Uh, we went over the series broadly in the last episode, but could you give us a quick overview of what 999 is, Axe? Sure can. Uh, the 999 is a visual novel adventure game and escape the room puzzle game about a group of nine people trapped on a ship for nine hours looking for a nine door to escape. This was a DS release that was kind of notable for being one of the only M-rated games on the console during its lifespan, and also because of its director. Kotaro Uchikoshi enters the American internet scene because his visual novel Ever 17, where um, produced with the company he was working at before making this game, Kid, was one of the only visual novels on the that I knew about, at least. Um, I played this game when it came out that got an official translation. Like you, you could actually just go online and purchase this game and it'd be in English. It wasn't very good, but it was there. Um, so a lot of people who were interested in visual novels and in the fan translation space knew about this man. So this game comes out in 2009 in Japan, uh, 2010 in the States. It's a bit of a sleeper hit, but it gets a big amount of recognition in the West, and that kind of pushes it forward into the other entries of the game that we'll get to later. Also noteworthy on the staff are uh, Kinu Nishimura, who's made a bunch of Street Fighter designs. If you look at the characters in this game, you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. And also composer Shinji Hisoe, who isn't a huge deal. I kind of like the I, I like this man. Uh, he makes very fun Eurobeat and trance music for the Ridge Racer series, uh, Custom Robo, if you know that. A very maligned and dying arena fighter about little robot guys and there's a, a much more people on this staff i i, I think there's a <laughs> there's an auteur kind of thing that's going on with uchikoshi that we'll get to and like why that's happening um but but the staff is much bigger there's a bunch of scenario writers and actual script writers people people credited with writing the moment to moment stuff that aren't really <laughs> going anywhere with the crew after this yeah and uh, i think you had mentioned to me that like this is kind of Kind of like a weird uh, assemblage of people who had done much bigger projects or like known projects sort of just coming together out of through like the 2008 crisis. Yeah, like Kino Nishimura was exclusively uh, working with Capcom until around this game. Same thing with Shinji Hisoe with whoever the hell makes Ridge Racer. Who makes Ridge Racer? Do you remember? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it's that. Who, who was that Namco that? before merger? I think oh, that was Namco yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is Namco. Yeah. Now Namco Bandai. Yeah, right. Because this game is made by Chunsoft, who <laughs> who made a little game called, uh, or is it published by Chunsoft? I know I'm mixing up. Spike Chunsoft goes through a merger. Um, one of those companies, whichever one's the actual developer, um, also made Dragon Quest, the most popular RPG in the world. So this, this game is strange. <laughs> it is strange that this game comes out where it is and kind of the trajectory of uh, the company after this game is also kind of interesting and marked by the series, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of the high level what this is. Before we get started, uh, I know this is episode one, so it's a little silly to be doing corrections and stuff already. Um, but if you listened to the last episode before we corrected it, we were originally going to be playing separate versions of this game. I was going to be playing the PC port and Axe was going to play the original DS port. And we realized pretty much at the very end of what was going to be the first episode <laughs> uh, that there are so there are significant 
differences or I guess omissions uh, on the PC port specifically due to having only one screen. On the DS, there's normally character dialogue on the top screen and then on the bottom is any like internal monologue or third person narration that the protagonist is doing sort of throughout the game. Uh, And on the PC version, this is basically just not there for most of the game, except for a couple big scenes like at the beginning and the end of it. So if you're playing on PC, you might be like me, uh, very confused why nothing seems uh, (laughs) to make much sense or be very just well described yeah there's a version of this ep- this episode that we threw away where the differences are so extreme that it sounds like at any moment um nate and i are gonna like physically confront each other yeah it it wasn't it wasn't great um i did not have a good time with the pc version having no experience with this game but this is all to say we are now uh, both playing the ds version which i've had much better experience with i think it's a significantly better game even having only played the one route so far so if you're listening to this and wanting to play along well worth finding a way to play the ds version whether that's on emulator probably would work fine um or if you have a ds around that it also it's it's a good game to play and like read in your bed the physical experience is, is good so i i think that's all of the housekeeping we needed to do to quickly sort of go over how this show actually work, uh, kind of episode to episode, uh, we've decided to break down each of the doors in the game, uh, which are kind of the main choices you can make and what determine uh, what ending you get, sort of to treat those as book chapters and summarize each of them as we get to them, talk through them, and then kind of move on. Um, so this will probably be a bit of a heavy episode because we're doing you know all of this stuff at the top and we're doing the sort of big picture introductory prologue stuff but future episodes will kind of uh, be covering you know whatever individual doors are in that episode to try and make it comprehensible to people who aren't playing the game but also not spend forever having to you know talk through a, a pretty large visual novel yeah, if you want to play along and you haven't played yet, uh, we are covering the doors four, seven, and six. Uh, we're specifying the doors because you can approach uh, the endings in this game through a, a few variety of combinations of choices. We are picking in advance and talking about it. Normally, you just play organically because you have no idea which choices lead to which thing. Uh, we are covering specific door choices just for the sake of having a clear podcast and being able to talk about the same thing mm-hmm. as we move through it. Yeah. And if it wasn't obvious, um, we will be doing full spoilers. So there's your warning at the top. I think that's everything. We'll not do that again. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we will not. We will not be spoiler warning every episode. Um, you should probably listen to these sequentially anyway. So or you can pick them like like the doors in the game, you know, <laughs> you can arrive at any ending you want. Yeah, I don't think we'll be quite as modular as the uh, the game. <laughs> I, I don't know if it'll be quite as, as <laughs> quite as as structured. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that's enough uh, preamble. And I think we can kind of dive in if you want to mm-hmm. do the summary for the for the prologue. This is kind of what everything that happens before you start picking doors. So this everyone's going to see the same beginning. We enter panning around a massive ship. A young man named Junpei awakens to general confusion in a third-class ship cabin. All he can make note of is a bracelet bearing the number 5 on his wrist and the locked door bearing the same number in blood red. Water begins gushing into the room, making escape his priority. While pilfering through random crap in the room to find a way out, 
Junpei learns about digital roots, or taking the sum of a number's digits until it's one digit, and thinks about how the gas mask figure who snuck into his apartment to attack him with sleeping gas probably kidnapped him. After a brief gaze into his reflection, he solves the room's suspiciously orchestrated puzzle and escapes. Junpei rushes out the room, races the water up some stairs, and discovers a group of eight people wearing the same strange bracelets. The group is coming from the opposite direction on a grand central staircase. A large, formally speaking man with a lion-like mane, a tall, princely-looking man, a slender, silver-haired boy, a pink-haired teen girl, a giant amnesiac of a man in dock workers' clothing, a woman in something like Egyptian folk dancing attire, and a short, nervous man with disheveled hair. The last in the group, to Junpei's surprise, is his childhood friend and crush, Akane Kurashiki, who he's not seen for nine years. They meet cute. Akane falls onto Junpei from the stairs while shouting his name. A voice then booms out from a loudspeaker to welcome them. They identify themselves by the name Zero. Zero informs the group that they're on a ship which will completely sink in nine hours, seven hours longer than the Titanic took. Unless they want to die, they must play the life-or-death nonary game. To play, they must pass through numbered doors, like the four and five doors in front of them right now, by forming groups with digital roots matching the door. The goal is to find the door numbered nine and escape. Zero wishes them luck and bids them farewell. All nine persons begin checking for other possible exits on the drive floors without any results. Still refusing to play the game, they establish code names to better communicate. Following their bracelet numbers, the Lion Man is Ace, the Prince is Snake, the Silver-Haired Boy is Santa, the Pink-Haired Girl is Clover, the Dock Hand is Seven, and the Dancer is Lotus. Junpei skipped because Akane already shouted his name while Akane remorsefully takes the name Jun. While approaching the Nervous Man for his code name, Clover is taken at knife point. The Ninth Man demi- demands she and Ace verify in the door numbered 5. The digital root of 1 and 4 is 5, allowing the Ninth Man to enter alone. To everyone's dismay, the ninth man begins screaming for help over a countdown. He shouts about someone in the group lying to him before being silenced by a bang. The group opens the door to find the ninth man blown up, reduced to a puddle. Deflated by the gory scene, the party is ready to exchange information. They find no major connections. A masked figure assaulted them all in their home with gas, but no one can think of why someone would do this to them. Jun and Junpei know each other, of course, but have not spoken for nine years. At a dead end, and ready to share more information, Snake reveals that he was given a unique rules letter. Written in Braille to accommodate his blindness, Snake reads aloud. Tiny bombs have been fed to them while sleeping, and the bracelets act as a detonator. When they pass through a numbered door, it will always be activated by the red, the entrance scanner. Beyond the door somewhere is a dead, a nearly identical scanner which gives them 81 seconds to deactivate the detonator. The bracelets can only come off in two scenarios. They pass through the nine door and win the game, or their heart rate reaches zero. Oh, also he and Clover are siblings. With the full rules laid out, the group resigns to seek the Nine Door and to play the Nonary game. Lots of characters. Nine of them. There's a lot of characters. This intro kind of has like the classic, uh, how do we, how do we introduce all these people without actually saying anything about them problem of, you know, any good murder mystery. Um, I think it does a pretty, a pretty good job. Part of that is just they're all anime weirdos. Um, they're all <laughs> incredibly intense immediately, uh, which is is pretty fun. I I definitely noticed some things that I had missed initially playing mm-hmm. through this, specifically around how Snake is characterized. He's kind of like a rude. He's kind of like a rude fancy boy. Yeah, he he is a rude fancy boy, and it's it's like not really commented upon that like explicitly in the game but he has this kind of c- creepy comment or something about 
like when he's revealing he has the extra braille letter um about like you know i didn't think i would be like telling this so quickly or something like that i don't remember exactly what it was but like something mm-hmm. kind of shifty and it's like it's 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 just passed over because you know we're 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 learning the rules of the game but it's it's it really uh especially for something that's you know transpired later in the in the route um really sort of sets up not manipulative but like secretive character that that i i i don't uh i i immediately don't trust um anything yeah i mean we also get this detail that they're like siblings that with that snake clover siblings and mm-hmm. everyone's just like mm-hmm yeah i'm just like mm-hmm, we'll accommodate you yeah it's all just fine and normal uh there is there is a bit of a funny concession that this game has to make in here or maybe not a concession but like it, uh, it has to sort of excuse uh why it's not saying anything more about these characters by having seven interject and, and start uh you know screaming about zero potentially listening in um which is i don't know it's practical it's it's practical i don't it's not like the the most <laughs> compelling reason i think given no they, not at all <laughs> given given they they definitely say all sorts of other stuff about each other um even just mm-hmm. in this early bit but you know it's 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 a bit of hand waving i think seven's the most characterized here because because he is like he's he's like kind of giving orders in a way that like also makes him seem like uh, a conspiracy theory person yeah i think i think seven and lotus kind of get the most characterization because lotus is immediately like the bossy like hot girl who i don't know exactly how i feel about her in general um there's definitely some choices with this character and then yes uh seven is the it's the conspiratorial anxious person i guess also the night's man is also anxious but he doesn't really he he is he, he's he, also very dead he's yeah he's very <laughs> dead he is the example character i i'm going to be curious to see kind of how much the ninth man matters like as a person throughout this run well, it's nine persons well well yes but you know you <laughs> you can't have a death game without having somebody die to show you that it's a death game like you can't just tell people you got bombs in them like that's no good so you know he's I put a bomb in you okay yeah and if i don't keep podcasting uh then it's, <laughs> it's gonna go <laughs> you off get it already yeah didn't have to say it yeah yeah please send help <laughs> but yeah so he's he's the tutorial death sort of to show you the rules of the game i mean he does come up a couple times throughout the yeah, rest who of the lied run. to him nate that doesn't come up no that doesn't <laughs> but, come up at all but certainly who lied to him yeah junpei is like wow that's real fucked up and then uh <laughs> has to continue it's mostly junpei thinking back about how fucked up it is uh to have seen this dude's guts all over the place which in fairness it is it is bad it is extremely unpleasant to uh you know walk walk through someone's entrails um Mm -hmm. i'm sure we'll see a lot more of that next next episode do you have any do you have any called shots on on who zero is or who who lied to the ninth man um why why numbers hmm i don't have called shots i did notice i didn't notice this when i was playing the game but i noticed it in your summary that you mentioned that it'd been nine years since junpei and akane had seen each other which is you know suspicious uh it it is she is also just in general extremely weird in a way that i can't entirely tell if it's meant to be suspicious or if the game is just being a 
just really weird about her because she's the love interest character. She's the heroine, you know? Yeah. Um, which, yeah, we should say uh, Junpei uh, is the entire rest of this this run, basically, because you're basically with uh, June the entire time is just a bunch of, of awkward uh, half flirtation and, and the game not really decide knowing what it wants to do with with june or like the the way it presents all of it is just extremely weird in a way that doesn't even fit like like weird anime romance tropes for me it also feels like hard to write right because there's a really great sense of like time and anxiety mm-hmm. with like the the soundscape in this game right because there's not really there's like a few moments of music but then we just kind of get creaking ship noises and this the, like, digital scrolling noise for yeah. the text the creaks are exceptional exceptional creaks they're so good they're they're <laughs> maybe maybe the mvp of the game like I, <laughs> i'm gonna that's my call shots is that nothing in the game is gonna be as good singularly as the as the creaking ships are to just immediate anxiety it's it's mo- much more so even than like the 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 um the chimes that are going off at the top of every hour to sort of tell mm. people, um, you know, when, when the, when the, the game is up. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have, uh, any, <laughs> any real, uh, intuition as to like zero or anything like that. I did get into, into numerology Wikipedia for a bit, looking at these numbers, um, but didn't find anything particularly mm. compelling um there's a bunch of very on the trail yeah you know i'm I'm trying to trying to galaxy brain this on on the first route i don't think there's anything else really that i wanted to mention at the top i guess i guess there is the last thing uh that i was thinking about is in the the first puzzle of the game after junpei wakes up you get you get this calculator for digital roots and this big file of information and it's not something that ever actually comes up as like a thing that your character has it is it is seemingly purely for the player uh to sort of have which is kind of funny in this in or like interesting in terms of pretty much everything else in the game is like very explicitly junpei like interacting with an object and this calculator and folder just kind of disappear they're just in his jacket uh no no nobody else mentions if they have a calculator or a folder it's just kind of there um maybe it'll come up more later but i did i did notice that was kind of interesting in terms of like Mm. items in this game tend to be very like physical and particular and the and this is just sort of like yeah you're gonna need a calculator function in the game you know here you go you gotta do digital roots Mm -hmm. better do it fast it is also interesting to me initially sort of based on the premise i assumed there would be like an in-game time element to this to this game but there there isn't mm. it's it's fully like you you can you can really just loiter around those rooms as long as you want which i i think is fine it would suck if there's an actual would, time element no, to this game it would be it would be miserable um it wouldn't i i don't <laughs> i think it would maybe be effective for like the first couple of times you die and then it would just be obnoxious the rest of the game mm-hmm. so that was kind of a relief uh to to realize that Yes, water is filling into my cabin room, but I can, you know, I can look at the bed and make jokes about the bed. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You can you can tap that bed five times until it <laughs> exhausts all of the bad jokes about it. Yeah, I do like the way that Junpei is sort of characterized as being like 
he he's not as I don't even know how to describe Santa specifically as like as much of like a joking asshole or something like not as he's sarcastic. Not, yeah, got real real devil may cry attitude, Santa. Yeah, uh, but Junpei is just kind of like you know he's got some humor still about him, but he's also mm-hmm. pretty skeptical about everything. He's not really as like conspiratorial as as seven. I mean, I guess that makes sense in if you're if we're thinking of like the progression of numbers and personalities, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it. I think it's it's effective as like a protagonist who has like a pretty strong voice, but is also like you know has to be the anime anime uh, boy stand in for us to have our our anime desk game dreams. He's a pretty nice, practical boy. Mm-hmm. Just a good boy. He's just a nice boy. Yeah, for the most part. But and we'll and we'll talk about that later. There's a there's sure. a there's, <laughs> yeah. We're there's a, to that in there's a, a very fun <laughs> bit where he where he uh, he's not so nice. Um, which is mm. great. So I think we'll move on to the four door. Yeah, yeah. F- yeah. Um, I don't know how early your your summary starts, but yeah, we're going to we're going yeah. through door four. Taking the path of least resistance, Junpei agrees to go through the four door. Lotus refuses to walk through the puddle that was once the ninth man and demands the pass through the door and needs Junpei to make the right digital route. Without leaving anyone behind, the group breaks down as follows. Seven, Ace, Clover, and Snake on door five, and Lotus, Santa, June, and Junpei on door four. Behind the four door, we explore first a second-class cabin where everyone takes their chance to monologue a Junpei. In one room, June, <laughs> amid a slight fever spell and an abnormal amount of flirty comments, boldly suggests that they're on a replica of the Titanic, while wedging a brief mention of a curse originating from the mummified priestess Amon Ra damning the original ship. In the other room, Santa and Lotus take turns talking your ear off. Santa offers a Clover bookmark to Junpei, and we'll talk at length about how shitty Clovers and the number four in general is if you take it from him, while Lotus will probe you about an abstract image central to the room's puzzle. She reveals to us that it's a picture of a dog, which was part of a real BBC broadcasting experiment. In this experiment, people outside of BBC broadcasting range were shown an image of the dog and were asked what it was. After the solution was given on BBC television, an unrelated group of people began giving the correct answer at double the rate prior to the solution being aired, despite it being impossible for them to have seen it. She goes on to explain this experiment as a partial basis to Rupert Sheldrake's real theory of morphogenetic fields, where it is proposed that that cells through certain resonant vibrations can communicate information across space and time, like telepathy. The group dismisses such a thing, though, and moves on. Escape leads us into a large kitchen, where June interrupts nearly every step of the puzzle to talk about random crap. She first clutches a rusty knife before talking at length about Futility, an 1898 novel. She claims that this novel, along with two other stories from the same era, are the product of some kind of automatic writing or a channeling of Titanic's victim's spirits before the event even occurred. Junpei thinks this is extremely odd, but follows June's other diversions when they are trapped in the freezer much more earnestly. Here she talks about sudden and unexplained crystallization of glycerin across the globe, and the possible disaster should Ice-9, a polymorph of water which freezes at 96 degrees, somehow behave similarly. Despite June's asides, the crew makes it out of the freezer, and then the kitchen, after a crash course on hexadecimal numbers. So, this... This doesn't really come up at all in the in the intro bit, but I think this door specifically really reveals that this game, much more than a mystery, is like the biggest composite of unsolved mystery anecdotes kind of strung all together to to find the through line between. This is this is definitely the most 
lore heavy door of the of the game uh, that we get this whole run and it's it's extremely silly <laughs> um but i've i've kind of come around to it just based on how absurd it all is um and how uh, how relentless it is like you, there's there's <laughs> there are zero like breaths between we're talking about the mummy on the titanic now we're talking about about clovers and clover lore and and, and baccarat sometimes clover lore <laughs> um now we're talking about bbc experiments and futility and ice nine like it's there is there's so much information and it's all outrageous um that it just it just wraps around to being like history channel level just kind of entertaining nonsense while while not being like as explicitly racist it's really funny watching this game at a moment where you'd expect like a mystery novel to like be like all right here's here's the you know here's the mm-hmm. evidence and the murder scene you know here's here's your here's what you got to go on you you get you get like extremely disparate <laughs> like completely unrelated things about like the titanic and like telepathy and numbers that's mm-hmm. that's what you get they're not they haven't they like don't coalesce anytime soon to form anything you could have a thought about yet yeah and i mean i i think for the most part it 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 somehow works despite them being all over the place there are some like scenes later on that i'm a bit more frustrated with just rant going off on random tangents and and not you know it's exploring the the mystery in front of me I, this game has a lot of table setting to do and it's just trying to kind of get a lot of that information out out the door um as soon as it can in any vector i i think i think this moment or at least these doors i i think there's a like a believability to people trying to piece together the situation and that they just happen to have like the weirdest out of left field mm-hmm. conclusions like clearly we're in the 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 lost sister of the titanic you know <laughs> yeah. like, this is this is my genuine first conclusion and and like that that plays in like a really funny way for june and santa just like trying to pedal off a bookmark that he could just he could just put down yeah he could put just back down why is he talking to you about it you know every everyone is just they're they're all freaks and they don't know mm-hmm. they don't know how to respond to the situation there which granted is a you know stressful situation people are are not probably thinking with the clearest minds but it's the the degree of specificity they're able to recall is is is, is really what makes it so funny because it's not just you know a throwaway tangent it's i have the whole wikipedia page for this unexplained phenomenon in my mind ready to go at any mm-hmm. moment just ask me about it please ask me about fertility i'm, I'm dying yeah. to let you know how much i know about rupert sheldrake it. yeah there i i think honestly what makes a lot of it work is that junpei junpei does kind of take the role of the player of saying like this is this is nonsense this is ridiculous like mm-hmm. to have the one uh, for the most part with the exception of ice 9 which is just the coolest thing to to junpei he, he does kind of serve to i guess not ground the game but like you know interject a bit of of skepticism into it all that that i think helps make it seem less like the game is just sort of monologuing at you about 
a whole bunch of unrelated content. And there also is also some really fun characterization that happens to specifically for Lotus, who doesn't get a bunch of great moments this route, but this is probably the best one that she gets where she goes on this whole story really seriously about the BBC experiment and how it's just so ridiculous and impossible. And then at the end, reveals that she's just kind of fucking with everyone um, and she doesn't believe any of that. She has no buy-in. Yeah, no. <laughs> just, just happens to know all about it, though. Yeah, she she read the book on on morphogenic fields, but <laughs> but doesn't believe in any of it. Not a thing. Which I I think is is really good at kind of setting her up as the character who is going to be the most explicitly like utilitarian <laughs> in their approach to this to getting off this boat to just being very blunt and. Arguably cruel in their in their approach, um, so setting her up kind of as like the the realist who doesn't really care about what's happening or why and just wants to get off the ship, I think is it's it's pretty effective in in this in this scene. She's also feasibly one of the older people, mm-hmm. like one of like three older people on the ship, because uh, everyone else is just like an anime teen or like twenty something. Seven exchanges with Lotus calls her like a. I think I think he's called her a granny at this point, or later at some he point call, he yeah, calls later, her a granny. Yeah. Um. There's some implications about Lotus's age that are really ambiguous because of cartoons and how mm-hmm. how how women are drawn in cartoons. But but that's also like I think maybe not getting through right now. I, I think I think that element <laughs> that element of like it being her age and her just like being a practical person mm-hmm. because she is older than like a bunch of twenty somethings and the teenager Clover. Yeah, because the only other character that's that's not a teenager or like a, a young adult is ace could be anywhere and from seven oh yeah and seven yeah but ace could be anywhere from like late 30s to i don't know it's impossible to say he could be any age Who could say? he could be any age where he might have gray hair i have gray hair well so okay so any age from you know 26 up which is still more than most of the other characters in the game <laughs> don't you like these puzzles the puzzles were they were they were fine this this room is is kind yeah. of this kind is kind of like a uh, a classic probably of the of all the puzzles I think this is the most like classic escape the room kind of you know put the put the tile on the wall and it reveals a a secret key and you open the door kind of situation like there's not there's not a lot of of characterization or like fun dramatics that happen in this in this puzzle but you know it's it's yeah the second class cabin is is kind of just click on everything yeah yeah and then click on it again. Yeah, which I guess it makes up for with just the amount of of other, you know, exposition that it gets in. But you know, it's 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 not like super frustrating or hard. So it, it's a fine like first or I guess second puzzle. And and having a sort of excuse to talk to all of the characters, I think, works pretty well for what will probably be most of the most players' first run through the game. We do get. A whole lot of June being just immediately the weirdest, just immediately weird. It's impossible. Like, she fluctuates back and forth between openly being very flirty with Junpei, um, like like asking if they want to take a shower together because they've been on this boat and they're gross or something like that. Um, and then also just being, like, really bashful about Junpei looking at a bed with two pillows. And she also just throws out for for no reason really it's they're, they're having some completely other oh she asked him about if he could be hiding anything from her and then he sort of turns it around and is like well you, i could ask you the same thing 
and she's like, what would I be hiding? The number of men that I've dated? Uh, and then has like a silly, basically slut-shaming herself math joke riddle that reveals that she's not dated anyone. It's It goes on way longer than it needs to, uh, and I, <laughs> it doesn't add anything other than making June feel weird. I don't really have much to say about it other than it's weird, but uh, calling it out... Yeah, my eyes glaze over this. <laughs> I... Every time it happens like so many times that and and it's just all I could focus on is just why why mm-hmm. are we making June so weird? Like I I I don't really well, I know two things about June at this point is I know she's a big astrology nerd which tracks and she's a big Titanic nerd which also tracks. This is this is a specific uh person in 2008. But aside from that, she's just kind of the bashful anime love interest the the game either wants to to hit on or sort of infantilize depending on the scene which is just kind of frustrating i i wish she got to just be the weird nerd more often but yeah and then we then we have santa who is just extremely edgy just so fucking edgy i don't think we mentioned it that explicitly but he he hands you this this clover and he goes on this big rant about how four is a is a is a shitty number and how he hates everything that clover stand for which are hope faith love and luck uh all things that can uh that you can lose or that can disappoint you i forget exactly that betray you that betray that can, you yeah that can be four tra- things that can betray you yeah this this fucking twink with like a just like a long ribbon over a, a loose fitting tank top just the, the edgiest boy it's like sitting at his shoulders this tank top <laughs> yeah it's like it's like cut like to his armpit where his armpit starts it's it's ridiculous and he and the reason also <laughs> the reason he won't go into the the five door is also that he just bought new shoes and he doesn't want to get blood on them that's his entire excuse yeah he's he's the edgy fashion boy send the child in yeah <laughs> i did <laughs> i did have to look up this hope face luck love and luck and apparently it is some like established meaning quote unquote um that nobody really or at least i could not find any actual source for where it started it seems to just be like a long folklore uh vaguely christian belief so there's 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 actually surprisingly few things in the game so far that are like just completely made up like there's a lot of very silly uh conclusions drawn from the stuff that it that it brings up but most of them uh have like some factual or like established sort of context in our real Mm -hmm. world which does sort of give it an edge i think over you know some similar games that like i don't know like metal gear solid that'll also monologue at you for 30 minutes at a time but it's just completely it's just complete nonsense they made up yeah june doesn't uh make up anything until the the bit about ice nine and glycerin in the freezer Mm -hmm. uh, which i glazed over the glycerin story is totally fake is that at one day at some glycerin factory glycerin one they noticed some glycerin crystallizing and then they noticed the rest of it crystallizing but not just there at every factory on the planet as if communicating telepathically you know this whole scene in the freezer is absurd i can't decide if it's so absurd that I love it or if it's kind of uh, the limit of <laughs> of how many just random exposition dumps can happen in an extremely stressful situation. Because in this scene, everyone is uh, explicitly freezing to death. Like we have Santa in there wearing 
his his almost tank top and and even Junpei who's wearing like a like a flannel shirt and like a like a Patagonia vest or something. Um he's got like the the Canadian lumberjack look. And as all this is happening and they're trying to escape, they do <laughs> they do Junpei just can't stop nerding out about the story that June is telling him about Ice Nine and Glycerin and how and and it's it's strange to me trying to think of what, how Junpei is as a character versus being just like a cipher for the player to sort of have content shown to them because mm-hmm. you do have an option to dismiss this conversation entirely. I don't know why you would do that, but I guess there's maybe an argument there for Junpei's lack of skepticism is just the player sort of forcing them to have this conversation. But it, I I don't I'm not super <laughs> convinced by that, um, <laughs> even though I made it up. Well, what if what if what if someone died in this route because you took too long in the freezer? I mean, that would be that would be cool. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But Did you, are you sure? Did you go back and not pick it? Oh, OK. Now, I'm, hmm. Interesting. Right. Right. OK. All right. Well, so, OK, so it doesn't. I think there's going to be a lot of things in this game that don't make a whole lot of sense to me right now <laughs> and that yes. uh i'm going to feel very silly later on yeah i've played this game if you didn't check out the episode zero so a lot of this is is me being like mm-hmm, and not having large ideas to input i mean with that that added a bit of context i'm gonna have to, to sit on that uh if i if i if i think that sort of you know makes it more compelling but i mean it is at least a wrinkle in this extended scene because previously when when june is talking about kind of the 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 mummy curse junpei's like yeah i believe in curses but this is kind of this is kind of silly but he's real into this ice nine if you if you have the conversation continue so just kind of an interesting like fork in in his characterization up to this point Mm -hmm. santa also gets in on it too though uh which is it's maybe even weirder than Junpei because just I don't I don't know why Santa cares about glycerin, but uh, yeah, they get out of the freezer, which is yeah. I'm, I'm forgetting now that we're not doing the, the summary play by play. Uh, Lotus gets that moment about like them accusing. They're like, "Why didn't you help?" And oh it's like, yeah, she's like, yeah, What the hell was I gonna do? Yeah, um, which is true, right? Because the the door the door was frozen from the inside. It was so cold in the mm-hmm. freezer when a water pipe burst that it immediately turned into like a giant water ice over the door. And what do you do about that? Uh, they made a bomb of dry ice. Yeah, it's a it's another fun moment of of Lotus kind of being just very practical and, and blunt. I think it maybe comes across as cold in a way that pun not intended um, that maybe mm-hmm. other characters, the the way that this game like sort of frames Lotus versus the other characters in the game, even ones who do sort of similar things, I think is something that I'm going to want to continue to pick, pick away at. Cause I don't fully have like a formed idea of like how this game thinks about Lotus but right now. It's not, like super super positive and and is often explicitly gendered in a way that is a, a bit revealing uh when put in sort of uh perspective with the other female characters in the game yeah it's definitely like this like conniving woman mm-hmm. thing 
happening with Lotus that is like but both like yes I do I actually do want to like clap and cheer when a, a woman is like <laughs> when it's just like a mean woman and like like winning in the circumstance because I like that kind of like genre play mm-hmm. but also like yeah if we're trying to do like a critical reading of this like that is also like a that's a certainly concerning thing to put a little bookmark on yeah and it, it is frustrating because like I I also I mean I, I, I support hot girls doing crimes. Um, it's great, but I don't think this game is maybe working on that vector because I, no. I we didn't we we didn't really mention it. But Lotus outfit in this game is just it's mentioned several times as not really having uh, much clothes. It's like a jacket with like a bikini strap in between. I don't know if there's an actual term for this. It's a very light, like um, like cropped top yeah i mean it's bikini um earlier i said something like egyptian folk dancing attire this is because if i were to be like kind of fast with this and probably what they did in when they're like let's pull something cool from another culture they probably were like let's get a belly dancing outfit which is like i know that uh that (laughs) the outfit that lotus is wearing and both that the practice of that as a folk dance is like kind of broad and not homogenous enough to just like say that Mm -hmm. um but if you have if you need an image of that it is it is very much a kind of caricature of like the belly dancer from like arabia or like egypt right Mm -hmm. that is the kind of outfit she's wearing it's like this blue it's very very thin kind of um translucent at a lot of parts a lot of gold parts Mm -hmm. and not really like a closed shoe on either no she's explicitly wearing heels because they mention her heels clacking in a different scene and before she gets a name, she's explicitly t- like, um, right in, in video games, there's a text box and sometimes there's like the character's name above it. Uh, before she gets her code name, she's just listed as dancer. Yeah. And, and Junpei is kind of bowled over by how big her tits are. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's like put off balance or something like that. I forget exactly what he says, but something yes. along those lines, if he has to like <laughs> gravity shifted because of her boobies. Basically, basically. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's explicitly the hot character in the game, um, in the vector of the different the the game will does have things to say as far as the different like female characters in relation to one another, and she is she is the sexy one, which can be can be troubling. Um, but we we'll probably talk about that more later. I don't think there's anything else in this in this door that I really wanted to call out. I think we're I think we're ready to move on to the next door. Junpei's group reunites with those who went through the five door in a large hospital room beyond the kitchen. Happy to see each other in one piece, they exchange information, but once again discover no path forward other than the numbered doors. Even worse, these doors' devices are missing their power source. The cast splits for an hour to look for the batteries, only to discover the missing parts replaced without anyone claiming the achievement, and Snake missing. They split once more to look for him, but under the pressure of time, resolve to advance through the doors without Snake. Ace volunteers to be left behind, as no combination of groups lets everyone through. He stubbornly injects himself with an anesthetic, so no one would delay any longer. Junpei, Seven, and Clover go through door seven, while Lotus, Santa, and June go through the eighth door. Behind the seven door is an old-timey operating room and facilities. One of these facilities is a chemical closet whose contents jog Seven's memories a bit. He recalls a story about ethylene diamine tartrate, say that ten times fast, um, suddenly mutating in a fashion almost identical to the story about glycerin June shared earlier. You can choose to tell Seven about June's glycerin story, which will jog his memory about Ice-9, of all things. 
What he remembers specifically is a rumor that the fake, this is not a real Titanic survivor, uh, the Titanic survivor Lord Dashiell Gordon acquired both the replica that they may be on in addition to a woman named Alice, who was recovered with the Titanic's dead, but she never, this body never unfroze, despite reaching temperatures of 95 degrees. <laughs> Dangerously similar to Ice Nine. Clover interrupts this diversion to urge us to continue searching for the way out, only for her to have her own little scene before exiting the room. Trying to fetch Clover from the main operating room to leave, Junpei discovers Clover muttering about Snake's probable death. Junpei has the choice to give her the Clover bookmark from Sancho if we have it. This prompts Clover to interrogate Junpei about some kind of morphogenetic field experiment she says that was conducted on this ship nine years ago. She goes on to try and explain morphogenetic fields with some thought experiments, but Junpei fails to extract anything useful before Seven Drink drags both of them out. Escape leads us not only to meet back up with the Eight Door group, but back to the hospital room to greet a drowsy ace. Just one puzzle here. One door, one puzzle. Yeah, and it's probably the best puzzle in the in the game so far. Like, it rules. In this it's so good. There's a lot of like fun like theming and character moments that come out from it. It's a fun environment just to explore, which is like this. I mean, it's not really Art Deco, but it's of sort of that same. Everything in the ship is sort of. That's like deco. Um, this like weird operating room that's just kind of freaky, but also like sterile and cluttered. It's it's fun to poke around. I'm trying to like, I kind of race through it the second time because this one has like more explicit solutions. Yeah, there's kind of two mannequins in this room. One that's like completely assembled, and then another one that is just like a head, torso, and arm. You're led to be like, all right, we have to find the rest of this. <laughs> this other mannequin so you do that by like cutting stuff um there's like this puzzle where you have to derive numbers from the amount of um molecules um, i don't know how molecules thank god someone knows one of us knows chemistry <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of molecules and various chemicals that are listed around the, the chemical cabinet mm -hmm. and you and you pull numbers out of that um that's very interesting because it's just like it, it's like both just reading but it's also like activating your your personal capability to engage with mm -hmm. like sci the sciences in a way that doesn't actually make you do science. Um, it's just count. It's just different counting. Mm -hmm. And then there's the you get you get like three dyes that you have to make colors with to unlock. You you place the die in front of a light that projects it. There's like some light sensitive key that somehow unlocks these three lockers that you get more mannequin pieces out of. Mm -hmm. It leads you around the space in a really great way. Yeah, I really like how this room has like it has the main big room, but then it has two smaller rooms leading off of it that you access when you unlock a key from doing a puzzle in the main room. So there's kind of this fun like the puzzle gets larger the longer you play it and then it all kind of comes back together in a very satisfying way, uh, which which I think is not not most of the other doors are kind of like one single space. So it's this one. I, I think is a highlight just based on having lots of smaller things to interact with um, that's sort of solving the bigger puzzle. The the thing you mentioned about like having to activate your brain to do chemistry without doing chemistry. I think this game in a lot of its puzzles are, is very good at obfuscating that it's kind of an easy puzzle by having sort of like the, like a, a sort of elaborate setup and like, theming around it like this one like you're you're just you're counting the molecules like it's 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 pretty basic but it, it it's it's more like they aren't just giving you like the the list of numbers one two three mm -hmm. it's like there's just un just enough abstraction and obfuscation that it feels clever when you get it 
um, without being challenging. Like none of the puzzles in this in this route were particularly hard, but but they were typically pretty pretty enjoyable to solve just because of of having you know a couple moving parts and a, a one or two like aha moments uh, to sort of lead you along. Which or like this there's this concept that like then shows up in the conversation mm-hmm. around or before it. That's like that like feels interesting. That like feels way more exciting to engage with. Right. But in the last room, we offhandedly I said that you learn about hexadecimal numbers. Mm-hmm. You you don't actually have to know what hexadecimal base numbers are. It, the game just gives it to you. But you do have to like read the referent information mm-hmm. to to like be able to actually report those numbers somewhere else. So there's there's like a buy-in to the space and scale of the spaces. That that puzzle specifically, I I, I think is maybe one of the the more frustrating ones for me, just based on both hexadecimal being confusing for me specifically, um, <laughs> but also a bit more random as far as like what the sort of reference point is Mm -hmm. i I like this puzzle because it it relates the sort of puzzle you're solving to the space in a way that feels natural i mean i don't know why (laughs) seven and clover know so much about chemistry um and are really jazzed about seeing all these different bottles of of chemicals seven makes a comment that he he's he's real excited for this uh what is it esalen alcohol yeah (laughs) he's like it's booze yeah (laughs) it's like not quite yeah, which is very fun for Seven because it really is just like, you know, some dude learned that this is this is alcohol, but it's like a chemistry thing. Like it's it's fully like being in, in chemistry class and learning that like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like go snort nutmeg or something like a a secret workaround to actually just having alcohol. Um, and then he kind of <laughs> catches himself. He's like, actually, I don't I don't want to drink that. Seven Seven gets some pretty fun scenes in this um, he also gets some some really weird moments specifically surrounding the mannequin that you're collecting when you walk into the room you're kind of looking at the mannequin and clover initially freaks out because she thinks it's a body and they're like oh it's probably you know it's probably used for like operating and then seven says something like or maybe more personal uses um and everyone's like oh that's so gross seven and then you find like the chest body part of the the female mannequin and seven's like wow this is is still pretty hot um and then (laughs) i guess he says that uh and then (laughs) later in in the scene where you're talking to clover he comes back and clover doesn't want to tell him about the the secret info that she told junpei so she's like oh yeah we were we were playing with the mannequins and then Seven was like, I didn't know you were into that, Junpei. Like, give him like a sly like wink. I don't. It says something specifically like he looked at him like, like smugly or something like like a knowing look. It's it's real weird. There's it really hammers home that it wants you to think that that Seven fucks dolls, uh, and that that's you know a a a cool funny character bit. Yeah, I I I really like how animated and cartoon i this this duo in particular like just feels like we got like an anime comedy duo in the room mm-hmm. and and that's really fun when they're like just like having like these like their their animations are happening clovers this really great animation where she like just like jumps her like hair bits and sweatshirt tassels like flop and it's just like it's just cool to look at and seven's also like very animated in his expression yeah. and i like those that a lot 
this stuff it's it's strange i i like both appreciate and dread having you zoom in on these things because i i'm glazing over these because i i'm just like yeah i just i just zooming through the puzzle mm -hmm. um because I, I know the solution already but but it's there it's certainly there and it's like a, a lot of the character moment to moment yeah and it's frustrating because there's already a bunch of really good like seven specific scenes in this chapter like the bits about the the alcohol is pretty funny the bit when mm -hmm. you like when he snaps and has the moment of realization that he knows about all ice is is great it's he's he's got such like a frantic like oh my god the the oven's on fire at home sort mm -hmm. of expression when he realizes this um and he's like concentrating really hard to bring it back uh it's all it's all really fun of him I mean, he's not like a himbo character, but he is kind of just like the big kind of oaf of the of the group. And and moments like this are like the fun bits of that. Uh, and then there's the other bits where it's just like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's a weird pervert. And he said yeah. a bunch of shitty stuff to Lotus. And it's like, you know, you had a you had a fun character here already. You didn't have to you didn't have to make it mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. And it's and it's particularly disappointing because they're they like they play they like play on the oaf. But like he's not like played like a character with like lower intellect. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he he's presented as like per, like sharing information in like a way like that is thorough and like also is pulling information right like his his identity is not there because he is this also the same music character so like th that's not like being engaged with either right mm -hmm. like that's 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 a medical condition <laughs> yeah that's a medical condition in a way that like snake was like accommodated in the death game for for like not um not being able to read written mm -hmm. text but but like being a Nijiak, the game is not considering yeah. it. No, it's fine. He's got all the information dimension. that he needs. He's gonna, <laughs> yeah, gonna... all all ice. They called her Alice. Yeah, and and Clover, she st she has some fun scenes in this. I don't think she gets to be mm -hmm. as much of a character as Seven, really, or like she's mostly in like in relation to Seven. She also has a weird bit in this scene, also with the mannequin, where you find the like right leg of the mannequin specifically. And she starts freaking out and is like, are my legs slimmer than this? And it's just like, what What are we doing? This character is canonically like 14. She's like 14. Yeah. Um, and she's asking this 20-year-old who will later like make comments about how she's cute if if her legs are more slender than than the singular mannequin that they just pulled out of a cabinet. It's, it's, it's weird and it's like going for a joke that is like it's like half a joke and it's mostly just like you know what if we just vaguely sexualize this character there's like a way this joke could play on like the absurdity there's an absurdity one of comparing yourself like one comparing yourself to like a like a like a plastic rendering of the body mm -hmm. but also like when there's a bomb in your stomach and you have nine hours to get off a sinking ship yeah. <laughs> right it doesn't, it doesn't engage with that at all it just plays it like the bit yeah and that's that sucks it would be like it would make a lot more sense for it to like play on that absurdity or for have Clover to like catch that absurdity. Cause, like literally moments before she was telling uh, seven how it's weird that he's like getting turned on by the, the smooth chest mannequin, but it's, it's just not, it's just fully like an aside. A lot of the weird stuff just happens in like optional things you can click on or in like on items. When you pick them up, you can do the, it says search, but it's basically just like, tell me about this item, have a little conversation about it. And that's where most of the weird stuff shows up rather than like in the main route. If you were just playing through this, like 
like straight through to see all the, like the connot like the 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 plot quote unquote. But I do, I do like Clover getting real kind of creepy with the experiment stuff and Junpei mm-hmm. also being just like hold on hold on hold on what what are we talking about here right. uh, <laughs> it's such a it's such a good turn from what you think is happening because Junpei's like cheer up kid here's a clover he's and being, oh, it's... he's being such just a patronizing asshole like this one is is very much like Junpei sees clover as as a as a child like a like a six-year-old basically in the way that he's talking her. which is fair because she's because she's like 14 yeah also he, which is like a fair response he should yeah this is how he should be seeing her all the time basically maybe not as patronizing but he is being just, just like uh she's like freaking out that her brother's probably dead and he's just like here's a bookmark you know <laughs> it's here's here's what it stands for it stands for for love and hope we just we gotta hold on mm-hmm. and then she just fully turns into just like actually no i know way more about what's going on here and it's it's, it's freaky or this is all experiments that are happening nine years ago on this very ship and he's he he, he literally is just like what 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 it's <laughs> just like it's <laughs> like what are we what happened okay i i'm not prepared for this uh, which is which is great anytime that happens i love when when characters put jinpei like off balance a bit like when he when he's not prepared because a lot of it he's just kind of a bit sort of dismissive or is like in charge of the scene but there's there's a couple areas where characters like surprise him and he's just like hold on a second repeat that for me Mm -hmm. this reversal in particular is really interesting because clover's like clover's like no we're gonna have a conversation now because it's weird that you're giving me this bookmark and saying that specific phrase Mm -hmm. there's like this this like turn there's like complete reversal of what's happening where clover just like takes control of the scene mm-hmm. in in like in re- in reversal of that which nothing else with clover up to this point does no. and it does not continue with that but that that specific scene with clover very cool yeah. very cool which is just like do you know about the ship of theseus oh my god but this <laughs> i i, I <laughs> this ship of theseus interpretation that she does is is maybe like one of the goofiest things to me specifically she like explains the ship of theseus and john and and locks socks sort of thought experiment uh and then extrapolates from that that we are all basically like the ship of theseus because our cells are constantly being replaced which means that we're also all connected to the things that we're eating because those are what makes up our cells and that's how all of us are universally connected, which <laughs> I think there's like a couple leaps in logic there that I I'm not fully following. Um, well, she's I mean she's trying to explain like a fucked up theory. <laughs> she's trying to tra- explain this like silly theory of morphogenetic fields mm-hmm. that that does, is not real. But like the, the way I understand what she's trying to say is like right because because we 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 both understand at this point that like something about morphogenetic fields is like about like some kind of telepathy mm-hmm. right i i think i think the ship of theseus analogy is like well if someone can communicate things to you into your cells at a fundamental level and they replace so much information through that method are are you are you the ship are you the ship that left um theseus yeah or whatever the yeah. fuck that is <laughs> i don't know where it leads from. at least from thebes I don't. I don't know. It's, Theseus is the person. Yeah, it's it's a really <laughs> God, strange metaphor. Yes, absolutely. And, but like specifically the that the the way she ends it on is not you know we were becoming different people or like people could like control us and make us different people, but that 
we are mm-hmm. all like part of like a collective consciousness like including like yes yeah, the field yeah okay so is that is that how i'm supposed to understand the field is like a collective consciousness kind of yeah i i think i was more thinking of it as single event sort of spreads out to like other like related beings not like necessarily them having like multiple direction like conversation well it's like well i mean the bbc experiment you know some people a a measurable amount of people get the solution to this like abstract image puzzle now more people can access that information even though they're like spatially unrelated so spatially and socially unrelated because of everyone everyone being the same carrots that they eat you know oh, okay. <laughs> everyone, everyone the same food cells okay. i think i was i think i was thinking of that as being like zooming in on the on the broadcast not on the people but it does it does talk about like the, mm. there's specifically like i don't know 200,000 people or something that now know the solution to the puzzle yes <laughs> <laughs> don't worry it'll dr- it, this game will continue to drive more for genetic fields oh, I, into yeah, your brain i'm sure I, I can i can yeah this this game is very transparent about saying these are the things that we're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about these things even mm-hmm. though we're not really going to tell you what they are quite yet which you know is fine we got a lot of game left yeah we get back to the the hospital room we kind of loop around we didn't talk about this in the other room um they've been getting maps which reveal to them as they progress that there's like literally no way deeper into the ship other than the way that they've been funneled Mm -hmm. so that's why (laughs) that's why at this point some of the cast is even like well of course we're gonna fucking go back like what do you what yeah. do you mean <laughs> seven specifically is the one that's like isn't that what i said i said you you know you never listen to me he doesn't say that yeah. but that's the that's the implication <laughs> He's like why i oughta yeah um yeah we kind of we kind of jump straight to the puzzle but there is some fun stuff that happens before you go through the door specifically with when you're looking for snake you have these like little one-off conversations with all the other people looking for snake and the ones that stood out to me is you have a conversation with Lotus where she's basically like, hey, we should team up and go through the door. You know, we'll take seven because we need that many to get out of, you know, whatever door there is. And then June kind of talks her down because of, you know, the number of they won't be able to get to the nine door because of the, their digital route. But it's really just hammering home Lotus being just like absolutely ready to kill people in a pragmatic way if it means that she's able to get off the ship. But it's framed in this like super like utilitarian and bring the most happiness to the most amount of people i think is what santa specifically says <laughs> um which is just the goofiest way to phrase that aside from all of the weird comments that will happen and if she wasn't like specifically like framed as a sexual character i would be really <laughs> really liking lotus and like kind of how her character fits in this dynamic of like the one who is willing to to be very ruthless about the game in a way that the other characters aren't at least not like they don't verbalize it um whereas lotus is like we should pick someone to sacrifice and then kind of does the math for you about why somebody has to stay behind specific wording is sacrifice yes yes specifically sacrifice <laughs> it's you know just queen of tact uh lotus she's she's very dramatic in a way that is is mostly pretty fun here and then there's then there's a there's actually two scenes with ace that are interesting the first one is you you find him in a hallway and sort of talk about you know clover's freaking out because or you mentioned that it's kind of weird that clover and snake don't 
look alike and it's like oh that's kind of weird they're siblings but they don't look anything alike and ace mentions like you know there's a lot of siblings that don't look alike and they're and junpei has like an aside that is like he's not sure but it seems like ace kind of bristled or like stiffened when he said that so there's like some some fun hinting that that ace is maybe not like the super stoic character with like you know, trying to keep the team together, which is kind of how he's framed in most of the scenes is like, you know, we got to we got to not be conspiratorial. We got to, you know, just just uh, unite to beat this this game, which is also kind of hammered home again when he sedates himself and he talks about, you know, I found this syringe because I thought it'd be useful. I wasn't I didn't think I'd be using it so soon or on myself. It's just like, OK, he's <laughs> Ace was just like, yeah, I might need to sedate someone later on. I'm just going to I'm just going to hand on to this. Well, I mean, a, a logical person would realize that there's already a murder in the group because of the ninth man. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's really like it's not, it's not highlighted. At no, this point, no, no, certainly, literally, literally, not one other mention of the ninth man until until like a few lines after this story, and then never again. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting. I think June is probably even more the like we got to keep together than Ace, but they kind of are working mm-hmm. on like similar vectors of like. You know, Lotus is being completely ruthless and Ace is just like, you know, fine, I will be I will do the noble sacrifice so that the rest of you can survive. You know, I, I like that the the game is kind of leaving a few hints that, you know, maybe maybe he's he's not fully, fully innocent in the same way that I like that the opening scene with Snake is kind of a little creepy where he's like, you know, I didn't think I'd be revealing mm-hmm. this information so soon. And it's just like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you tell the information about the tiny bombs inside of us? That seems like it might be. <laughs> that seems like it might have been good to you know reveal. Need to know, basically. Yeah, reveal before the person got blown up by the tiny bombs inside them. Mm. It's a little, it's a little, little suspect. I think we also uh, the other thing I think that's notable from before we go into the operating room is that um, Clover is like positioned as like of kind of like. She's she's like despondent and mm-hmm. um kind of like having an outbreak, but also is like played as like right. I think I think she gets like a door creak on, on like in between some of her lines, right? She's like played as like despondent in a like an eerie way, I guess. Uh, I think they're playing up like the creepy child a bit. Yeah, in a way that I like. Yeah, she's fully lost. She fully loses her cool when Snake is gone, and this is kind of like. This kind this happens on a, on a lower scale in the beginning when you choose to snake volunteers to go into door five because he's blind so it doesn't bother him that he's walking through blood I guess and then Clover's just like why would you do that I'm going to then sort of has a has a little a mini freak out but yeah in this scene also it is kind of specifically a little eerie because Lotus is kind of uh leading her to agree to do this vote to basically choose who to sacrifice yeah she is a little coerced yeah child in the scene is very yeah she's coerced lotus looks super creepy the way that she's talking to her it's all it's all very spooky in a way that i i really like this this game Mm -hmm. uh, for having a bunch of murder is not often like explicitly like trying to be creepy rather Mm -hmm. than just like mysterious and the moments when it does choose to be like fully like a death game like murder story uh are really good like i i didn't really talk about it but the scene where the ninth man is like screaming and about to die is extremely extremely brutal and drawn out and then there's just like you don't even see like it's like three minutes yeah it just goes on and you just hear him going and you hear the clock beeping down 
Uh, and then yeah, the explosion, and then they they're all looking at the blood. It's like a whole a whole drawn out scene. It's it's great. It's it's gruesome. This game is actually disliked. Um, a, a lot of the failure to succeed in J- the Japanese market is kind of accredited to how how gory it is. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have assumed that. Of the reasons not to succeed, I guess that wouldn't. That's kind of part and parcel with the death game. Mm-hmm. Then we yeah, I think that's everything then that I had to say about about door seven. So yeah, now we're, now we're moving into door six. Reunited in the infirmary room, Clover insists on passing through the three door to look for Snake, to which Seven and Ace agree to. Using the astrological keys found from the various puzzles in the other doors, June and Junpei discover the sixth door on a suspiciously dry lower deck, while Lotus and Santa find the one door at the top deck. Returning after the discoveries, we find the three door group shaken by a bloody discovery. Snake has been found behind the three door in a puddle like the ninth man, only identifiable by his clothes. Distrust settles in and accusations fly. Seven suggests that, due to the rules of the game, one or two of them must have tricked Snake into passing through the door in a plot to kill him. Ace argues it was Zero who committed the murder, leaving it to Junpei to defuse. Either way we land, though, there is no strong evidence one way or the other, and the point is dropped. A new key found behind door 3 leads to an even lower and equally dry 2-door. With the group at odds, they concede to Junpei's suggestion to decide by non-verbal vote on who will go through which door. Winning a majority for door 6 with June and Santa, Lotus, Seven, and Clover defer to the one door while Ace joins the sixth group. Behind the sixth door is, first, a massive steam engine room. June sits out with a fever while the boys move coal and weird dials to get out. Santa briefly holds the group's advance as he meditates on whether or not he's the evil black Santa or the blood-covered white Santa. After passing Santa's Santa's crisis, we enter into an equally large cargo room filled with cute cards of the cast members, which ultimately lead us to a coffin deep in the hold. Coffin holds the key for escaping, along with an ornate pistol, which the group agrees to leave behind. No one takes this, obviously. Escape from the hold leads the group past the elevator they took down, in the first place, to a strange altar room, which contains not one, but two nine doors. A trick of Zero's word choice led them to believe that there was only one door, which only up to five people could pass through. But in reality, no one needed to die to escape. Our crew resolves to have no more needless death, and leaves the room to retrieve the remaining three people on the ship. On departure from the room, the camera hangs on a coffin in the altar room, a strange banging originating from it. Good news is unfortunately not met with good news. Clover is split from Seven and Lotus, prompting everyone to scatter to find her. Junpei searches up and down for her, but unfortunately only finds Lotus dead, with a prominent stab wound. Panicking response, Junpei himself falls victim to the same fate. His vision fades before we can see his assailant's face, bringing us to our first bad end. You did it. You beat the game, Nate. Good job. Yeah, podcast over. We we wrapped it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got knifed real good. Yeah, uh, please like and subscribe. So there's a lot of, of of pretty fun stuff that happens here. Yeah, I think I think specifically like the getting back to uh, the three group is like very very exciting. I think right off the bat, this like scene that Junpei has constructed to vote uh, is one of my favorite moments for him. He's he's a convinced everyone to write down the door that they want and then they'll tally it up. And I guess whichever door has the most people who want to go through wins. It's unclear exactly how the voting system works. It, it's not very well thought out. It's a totally fair. Yeah, Junpei is, is not really thinking through the, the, <laughs> the logistics of this that much, but doesn't really matter because he 
makes an aside that he's like got like a trick or something or he's got like a plan and he doesn't want the other people to realize it well he votes last yeah he he votes last or he draws his 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 card up last um mm-hmm. which is sort of when you select what door you want to go through which is which you totally wrote before at the same time as everyone else yeah i i love this moment where junpei gets to to, to be conniving uh, in a way that it's sort of implied the other characters may or may not be. And it's sort of just an aside, like it's not really fixated on because, you know, your Junpei's perspective, he does, you know, he's, he's just trying to, to stick together with June, or I guess, you know, could be going other places in other places. In this playthrough, it, it sort of reads as he wants to be in the same door as June. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of how that changes if you pick other doors. It's fun. It's fun for this character who's normally, you know, been just sort of like a good guy. A good boy, as we as we mm-hmm. described him at the top, is sort of like actually fuck this. I'm gonna make some decisions now because of what I want to do, which is, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> given sort of the the point at, of the run that we're in. Um, I guess we didn't really talk that much about the scene of Snake dying. Yeah. So in the scene, you come back and you're guided to a shower room that's behind door three. Snake's clothes are there. And everyone's like, oh my god, he's dead. And the argument kind of falls in such a way where you're given a choice as the player. The first proposal Seven makes is that the killer is one of us. And then Ace is like, no, it's Zero. And Clover's like, well, what if one of us was Zero? And and you can mm-hmm. and you can engage with that in either direction in the, at this point in the game. What which did you pick, Nate? I wanted to see specifically how this unfolded if you tried to follow that route down. So I I chose like mm-hmm. yeah maybe zero is one among us, which leads to this long sort of attempt at Junpei to put all the pieces together as far as who zero is and why like it makes sense that he's one of them. Uh, and eventually it falls apart because he can't figure out why. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone turns into like the the cops in like a daytime like, crime procedural where they're like, well, what's the motive? <laughs> All it's, which is like, which is good. I I, yeah. I I think that's really a good w- direction for this to for the detention to build where everyone's like, because then everyone's equally like even more pissed at Junpei, I think, for for exciting the situation by entertaining it. So so logically mm-hmm. and without like a, like a way to commit to it. I I mean I do wish it I I feel like there was an opportunity to maybe make it a little even more tense or like drop some more clues mm-hmm. maybe this will come up in future routes because like sort of the the assumption or like the theory that Seven puts out is that it would have to be two people who who murdered Snake to open the door because you have to have three people to to authenticate on the red to have the door open and they probably just pushed him in. So, you know, you can run the, the numbers yourself and sort of figure out what combinations would work there. But that's not that's not really stated explicitly after uh, Ace sort of merges the conversation over to it's probably Zero that killed him. So there's maybe like less specific and like uh, tension directed at player at like the characters that you know that I think I, I would personally prefer i like when these characters are kind mm-hmm. of at odds with each other even though that sometimes ends up in like some some gross sort of comments um but i think it's like the most fun aspects of the game are when they're sort of you know the tension is very high and they're sort of doubting each other so i'm, I'm curious to see if that comes up at all anymore of like people like specifically saying like no you killed him because i know how i know how digital roots work mm-hmm. and that's how you open the door 
Um, that doesn't really happen in this route yet. I assume it has to happen because that's that's the, why else would you have the system that like has a very like mathematical solution to how you are able to progress through this chip. You can almost like surveil each other because of mm-hmm. the logic of the space. I mean, there's there's like, I guess, the argument that like, you know, Ace is sort of the authority figure and is able to sort of steer the, the conversation elsewhere. But I'm to me, it was like the where I expected sort of the conversation to go. So it was a little disappointing that they didn't sort of dig into that a bit mm-hmm. more to sort of, you know, stoke the tension. I want I want the characters to hate each other <laughs> as much uh, as possible. If you do not choose to entertain Clover's theory, you instead get um you get a much shorter conversation. And we, and we can okay. maybe maybe if we both pick this and we come back at the, again, we can talk about it in detail. Um, but you get this scene where Clover's like, "You don't believe me," and then she's like more despondent, and and then it kind of ends, and everyone's like, "Ooh, that was a, that was, that was a little weird, Junpei," and it's like, "Well, <laughs> I you don't win either way." I do like when the game confronts Junpei specifically mm-hmm. and as sort of in relation the player there aren't that many instances where that happens in this run soon that will probably be more of a thing that occurs or I hope so but that along with like the moments where like Junpei is unsettled by like a revelation any moment where the player's sort of agency is called into suspect a bit or like uh accused I think are are really compelling, specifically in terms of like this both being a visual novel where you are driving the choices of how the game works, but also a, a game about like telepathy and characters knowing things they shouldn't and being able to like change outcomes through like supernatural means. I think anytime that is sort of like questioned specifically or like like accused like it's not just like oh yeah i'm the player i'm gonna choose to go into door seven mm-hmm. it's just like well what the fuck are you doing junpei why are you don't go into door seven you're making everything worse yeah. for us. i love i love i love those moments it is it is like a really interesting turn on like right because because visual novels are mostly games about like learning the like emotional logic of the perspective character or like other characters that are in the narrative but like in this situation you're just like completely antagonized both at the character level and like the situational outcome by making any mm-hmm. choice <laughs> by making any choice because they're just like well what logic do you deploy here and that's kind of like what you're being assailed with the whole time when the characters are talking to you it's very i mean i haven't played a lot of visual novels as i've sort of m- mentioned but i i am enjoying how that is sort of beginning to be complicated and i hope that is like built upon that's sort of the the, the impression that i'm starting to get is that maybe this is heading in that direction mm-hmm. but it's it's too early for me to really say one way or another so we kind of did a circle back to the the previous section after we get past the voting scene the steam engine puzzle uh is another like just kind of fine puzzle i think it's one of the easiest ones to like breeze through if you know the solution because it really is just go to place a click on it go to the other place click on it in an order that is like very easy to remember because the space is big but there's actually not very many places you can go Mm -hmm. in it i like the design of this room like i like just the sort of steam engine stuff and it's how it's kind of plain but it's probably not one of the more more interesting puzzles to solve no no the only real puzzle thing that happens in the space is like these three discs that you have to line up a specific way but like you literally don't have to like i you could like not look at them and arrive at the solution because it's just like there's a bunch of lines that are red there's a bunch of lines that are yellow there's a bunch of lines that are white one one of those that grouping and arrangement of them will line up there's only three of them right but i think i think like the way it feels like a like a dead engine 
specifically, right? Because mm-hmm. you come in and the engine's not starting. There's like this aside where Junpei, Santa, and Ace just like shovel coal through like a fade to black into the engines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then like the room's just a kind of like quietly whirring in, in a way that's like even, <laughs> even like emptier feeling. And that's, that's neat, I think. But again, it doesn't really like do anything with the actual like spatial navigation. There is a bit of fun characters being apart from one another that happens in this scene specifically with june who gets you know has to stay behind because she has a fever she has anime sickness yeah which there's some like real patronizing stuff that happens here which is just kind of a continuation of june is is the anime girlfriend who has to you know be protected at all turns um there's there's another scene kind of I, i forget exactly where it is where they're exploring and they find an elevator and June is like, I'm going to go down to the scary elevator. You stay here, June. And then June's just like, no, I'm, I'm going to jump in at the last minute. So Junpei is kind of like protective in just like a, a, a very boring, stereotypical way. And that's kind of probably most prominent in the scene. But there is a, a fun like or interesting, I guess, bit where you're like up on the catwalk solving some puzzle and you're like, they look down at June and are just like, man, she's not getting any better. And Junpei is kind of defensive just like yeah she's not gonna get better it's been like you know 10 minutes we're in this steam engine room and and then santa's like actually it makes more sense that she's she's sick we're all actually the the freaks here who are are doing totally fine doing business as usual yeah it's weird to be trapped on a ship after being kidnapped (laughs) and to do one two three four five puzzles in Mm -hmm. in less than nine hours that's kind of strange you know, just a little bit. Santa probably gets the most to do in this scene. He has he has like just an, an another just to to annotate all of them that I I find he has a, a gross aside that goes on again too long about the size of the staircase and how he is implying that it's perfect for looking up people's skirts and asks specifically for Clover to come and walk up and down the stairs, which is gross for very obvious reasons. It's again just like this game has like. I never know what to make of these comments when they come up because it feels like it's trying to be a joke, but it's, I don't know what the joke actually is other than we're being sort of perverted. And it doesn't seem like the game really knows what it's doing either. It's just sort of inserting these scenes where it can find an excuse to. It's like, it's like the, the writer was just like, oh, hey, this makes me think of something. I'm just, I'm just put a little aside here for, for one of the characters to talk about. I think this is just visual novel poisoning with their proximity to, <laughs> right? Uh, if you don't know anything about visual novels from Japan, most of them for a very long time were centered around porn content, kind of like asides at the end of routes or in the middle of them where it could be like just like in a sci-fi plot. It, it just mm-hmm. get like a very like long aside about sex, both graphically and like in terms of like narrative description and like. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be a game about teenagers and that sucks. And that's pervasive. I'd say it's more of like a a specific industry thing than it is like a genre thing. This is not an indie release by any measure of belief, but but Ujikoshi is coming from like kind of like a small visual novel company started in like doujin circles and like a trade school, right? He, He just like made connections socially through those things. So that's like, that's like where he's coming from. Even if, even if he's not the person directly writing this, like that's either like the audience that they're kind of catering to. And also just like the sensibility of comedy that comes before this with like other visual novels and adventure games. It's bad. It's bad. It's it's unpleasant. It goes back all the way to the Portopia serial murder case where you're a cop and you can like 
demand people you bring into an interrogation room to take off their clothes. Eesh. And you just like have to at some point for part of the puzzle solution, which is like that game doesn't have the capabilities because of like text limit to to, to like grapple with that in an, interest, in an interesting way. My imagination can grapple with that in an interesting way. But that flows into like we can that just happens over and over and over in these games. And it's mm. and it's just irreconcilable. It is just it's it's like sex sells or like this creator actually thinks this is like a funny bit and like both both of those conclusions suck yeah much more fun though is santa when he gets to have his his just (laughs) existential crisis crisis about which santa he is i i really i really meant to look this up to try and figure out what specifically is pulling from yeah i don't know which because because there's there's plenty of i i know french canadians have like a folklore like evil santa a lot of across europe sorry europe if i'm <laughs> if i'm grouping you together but i i don't know much about evil santa uh, but like i know this is like a fixture across different folklores about christmas or whatever right to have like there's like an evil santa who like comes and spanks the kids and shit and or does tricks on them and then there's the santa who gives who gives gifts because he's saint nick I do not, I have no idea in in which part of the world that he murders the evil Santa and that's why he, his clothes become red. It's, it's really <laughs> intense. <laughs> Out of nowhere too. Yeah. And the, and the, the framing, this is probably my favorite, like, there's a couple scenes in the game where you get like, instead of just the character sprites, you get like a full screen, like drawn. CGs is what they're called across the genre. CG. Okay. Yeah. You get a CG of Santa framed from below, like he's in like a I don't know skateboarding video or something. He's sitting on the on the, the panty stairs on the steel the panty shot stairs. Yeah, the panties. Yeah, sitting on the panty stairs, looking at this this Polaroid. The background behind him is just like completely like dark and faded and gloomy. He's just staring at this scene. It's 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 super edgy uh, in a way that I love for his character. Um, that is is always just like sort of self serious but like in a openly goofy way <laughs> like it's impossible to take him seriously but he takes himself very seriously and yeah the scene he tells of just the the santa killing the other santa because he was just so done with him playing tricks on these kids he's like i'm gonna put an end to this i'm gonna just murder you <laughs> and santa doesn't know santa the character in 999 does not know which of the two Santas, he is more like the one who is murdered or the one who is doing the murdering. Because they're both twisted. Yeah, so twisted. There's also an aside here about him having a sister that we don't really learn anything about because he immediately launches into the Santa bit. That might come up. There's a lot about siblings in this game that I don't really know what to do with quite yet. Mm. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll come back to that probably. Um, at least three characters have some sort of sibling issue, connection, presence. And this game is very deliberate about its connection so far. So I imagine they will come back in in some significant way. Who could say? Then we leave and we get into the tar- cargo room. Yeah. June's fine now. Is, she's just fine now. Yeah, yeah, she's totally fine. <laughs> totally fine, cool. And yeah, we get into the cargo room, which is another puzzle room that is like, I enjoy solving this because it is just a bunch of like tiny logic puzzles just kind of disconnected from one another. I don't know that it feels characterful or like that like like really connects that much to the story in the way that like the operating room one has like a spatial dimension this is kind Mm -hmm. of like you know i'm doing a i'm doing a magic square or i'm doing a logic puzzle where i make all the all the lights go on or i'm doing like a soko bong game and i'm pushing blocks around which are all fun for me to do 
but yeah, you said yeah. this the last time we recorded, but it, it is like you just dropped into a latent game suddenly and you just have like little puzzle book puzzles yeah. to solve instead of like these things about looking through crevices of spaces and trying to like like finding out ways that they connect to each other in, in like ways that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At one point, Santa just pulls out just a full manual for this this other like mini game that you have to play and Junpei's just like where'd you find it? he's like I found it while you were doing the other puzzle which in any of the other scenes it would be like yeah you find that manual you figure out how to turn the thing on here it's just like no 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 we're, we just want you to push some blocks around it's yeah fine. here's the tutorial text yeah which is very funny I, I don't know if this is just like a bug or something the game can't seem to figure out when it wants to give you like the the omniscient yellow text for narration versus having it just be like another line of dialogue it seems to just kind of randomly switch between them which I thought was a bit funny because it mostly just seems to forget about the yellow <laughs> the yellow text the longer the game goes on. Because most of the early puzzles are like mini game instruction. Here's how you interact with this device. And the rest of the ones are just like, yeah, you, you click the thing, you do the you do the puzzle, it's fine. There are some fun character bits in this theme scene that I do like. I, I well, I both enjoy and dislike all of the the number cards you get. I like them because it's fun to get care like playing cards of different characters and sort of have characters comment explicitly on one another. There's like a good one of like they pick up the one for Snake and they're just like, oh yeah, here's Snake. It's like, you know, kind of sad and uh, Ace is like, yeah, I don't need to see that. And he also isn't like interested in like seeing his headshot. He's kind of shy or whatever. Then there's also just like ones like you comment on Clover's and Junpei's like, oh yeah, she's kind of cute. And then June's like, hmm, hmm. And Junpei's like, I don't know what you're doing. Why are you giving me that look? And I think something similar happens when he clicks on Junpei, June's. That might be what prompts her to go on a long ramble about how she's not sexy and that her skin isn't perfect, but she's trying her best. So don't call her a cutting board. Or she she names like three other random like flat objects. Just June being just the weirdest character or like having the weirdest moments probably. And then there's the Ninth Man one, which I don't think Junpei has a lot to say about, but it's sort of just like bringing that to mind again. I think there's another scene like before the ending where he also remembers the Ninth Man dying, but I might be getting confused. I feel like he remembers it like three times. Mm. It kind of keeps coming back to sort of reinforce that. But I can't, I can, I can't remember exactly where they are. I should have written I that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, probably the most important thing is you, you <laughs> the coffin on top of the, just in the in the cargo hold. There's just a coffin and just a fucking gun. Just a gun inside that no one takes. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, obviously. Why would anyone take the gun? Yeah, I, I don't have anything actually to <laughs> say about this other than at least at this point. Um, there's a gun here. I had the. Yeah, I had I had the immediate realization after I left the room. It was like, oh, that you know, it didn't didn't force me to go through the door when I unlocked it. You know, I could probably have done some other stuff in this room mm. potentially. Like what? Like pick up the du- gun? Uh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm I, guessing by your reaction that you that's that's actually not possible. I've never tried it. Okay, I've certainly never tried it. <laughs> well, because it felt weird to me that like in basically all the other puzzles. You get the key to the door, you click on the door, it unlocks, the game moves you through it. In this one, it unlocks, and then Santa's like, all right, let's go. And then you're, it like leaves you mm. in the room, which leads me to believe there's something else I can interact with in there. Or like some, some reason for it to leave me in that room. Wow, I can't believe I've never thought of that. <laughs> 
It might just be a weird thing, but I'm curious. I, I believe we'll be revisiting rooms at some point in this in this series. Yes, so, yes we do have to go back yeah, to this room. Next time I'm there, I'm going to definitely poke around and see if, if there's yeah, anything in that it. room. See if I can bring that gun with me. I'm sure that'll that'll uh, cause great things to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get to the altar room, which is thick, sick as hell. It's a great, it's a great cool gothic like you know the altar room that was in the titanic yeah famously just like a bajillion candles all at front there's like two things that i kind of think are interesting here i guess the first one because it's shorter is that this is like the first scene in the game as far as i can remember where this camera leaves junpei's perspective and like is like its own i don't know viewpoint um because it hangs back mm-hmm. to to listen to the coffin banging someone banging inside the coffin which you know who who know, who could say what that means so far well we get the intro too where there's like the panning around the ship oh yeah i guess that is true i guess i assumed i i guess i i felt i took that maybe differently but i guess it is sort of the same thing yeah and we also neglected to mention and there's i don't really have anything to say about it other than it's it's sick as hell is there's like an intro like anime intro to this game when you start it up that plays on the top screen that is just like the character portraits and names and just like all of the random like scientific graphics that show up throughout the route like there's one of glycerin that is just like this 3d model (laughs) of a molecule and there's just like random (laughs) equations behind it and it's all like blue gradients it it rules it's it's like that it's like that ridiculous scene from um what show is that? Um, it's not Sherlock, is it? Is it Sherlock where he's with the Liberty Bell thing? You know what I'm oh talking yeah, about? yeah, like with the mind palace. The yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like that. But what if it was sick as hell and like the coolest trance music was playing over it? Yeah, yeah. The soundtrack in this, yeah, we we didn't really mention that much other than at the top when you were talking about the composer. It is yeah. really good, especially I noticed having played the PC version like right before this. I think the music works really well specifically on the DS and like sort of the shitty speakers that it has and like the limited yes. sounds that it can make because this does have like a, the soundtrack has like a lot of really like crunchy like uh like synths on it and like really high like sort of twinkly sounds like very much mm-hmm. in like the the register of what the DS can output so it sounds like it sounds really good even on the ds speakers which are are not great if it's been, if it's been a, no. if it's been a while since you've used a ds uh the speakers don't sound very good for pretty much anything um but this game sort of takes that into consideration or or i guess i would assume so this game's very heavily designed for the ds yeah in in like every way and it's <laughs> it's it's like I, i'm glad i i didn't want to like coerce you into like playing on original hardware or like or even just like an emulator because like that's such a good thing Mm -hmm. um but i am really glad that we're covering the game because because there's also like a kind of we don't get games made for specific hardware anymore right like the the play date's happening now but like who the fuck's buying a play date i'm not which is no discredit to anyone making games on the play date um i too would do it for um for a check but you don't you don't get that yeah and even the play date is like very much like a almost like a one step removed from like a wii sort of situation where it is kind of just like a gimmick hardware limitation rather than like 
here's what here's the game system we have figure out how to make your game work on it yeah and like optimize it and like and like do like do like a more interesting thing because you have to take things out yeah and make compromises yeah and like take advantage of like the specific like form factor or like the limitations there and like the the way that this game uses both screens uh it's pretty cool it doesn't sound that significant where you're like yeah the 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 narrations on the bottom screen the characters on the Mm -hmm. top but it works really well for being able to have like kind of both dialogue and and narration going in tandem the way that you would have like in like a novel what if you had a book that like had two parts that you could distinctly flip from one another, one each other, <laughs> each other. You can do so many things formally with that, and you just have that now in the DS mm-hmm. because we're because we're reading this in this 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 novel in that way, this visual novel in that way. That's that's definitely been a treat. Yeah, it did. It was just convenient that I ended up I I had bought a DS for completely other just random personal reasons, like right before we started this show. Um, so it just kind of happened. Um, because I otherwise would not have had a hardware and I probably wouldn't have shelled out money for it just for the show. Um, but since I had it, it yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have decided to make the change in addition to just obvious reasons that the game is much better. It is nice to have the full text. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I really can't understate the degree to which playing the game with no contact on the PC port specifically, or I guess the PS4 port is the same. It is a subpar experience and like I think is is very detrimental to like a lot of what this game does well and like are, is what is what's interesting and like just making you invest in the mystery um, by cutting out so much of like the embellishment and like the small details like just like the little asides like Ace was kind of shifty when you mentioned siblings like that's just not on the PC version or like I, I don't know that line specifically but like all that stuff is basically has been sponged away and that's like mm-hmm. pretty important when it's like it's a mystery novel you want all of the random details and the embellishments and like the the, the character you want the you want the salt right because you're not even getting like more character portraits to compensate for. there's just like there's just like zero things to compensate for that loss yeah so we're, before we leave this altar the only other thing that i wanted to kind of call out and this the nine doors you want to talk about the nine doors yeah yeah doors to get out yeah i want to talk about the nine doors because i think it kind of segues into sort of my big picture question of what is this game doing in relation to desk games as like a genre of of like horror thriller media so when you discover these nine doors junpei has like the revelation that like there's two of them and you know if you do the the digital route for all nine people you can everyone can get out through one of the doors in like a whole bunch of different combinations like the math works fine you know there was really no need to leave anyone behind people just sort of assumed that because that's how the game had been had worked up to that point um and he specifically makes a couple comments which i feel like are kind of to me feel like ceases statements as far as we've gotten one so far and so I'm interested mm-hmm. to kind of follow them and see if they sort of develop. But he makes a comment of uh, they understand and be appalled, overwhelmed with guilt, uh, referring to having, you know, killed someone thinking that they weren't able to all get out of the ship. And then referring to the game as having been designed to save all nine people. Uh, and I think the, the use of the word save is really interesting there, considering this is like, you know, a, a, a game that they've been kidnapped to play. Um, rather than like, you know, the ship is going down. Like save is a very specific word that I think infers like, to me, it feels like this game is moving 
or like so far as in as far as it's talking about the death game as like uh, a metaphor, like a, a thematic device towards like a very moralistic, you know, you put people in a stressful situation, they're going to turn on each other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say a lot about society, how twisted we all are. Um, really, if we, you know, we just trusted each other, everything would be better and fine, which I don't think is very compelling, <laughs> compelling or interesting. Um, but it's certainly in the register of other desk game media. Saw is kind of like this of where it's like, yeah, you're 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 a fucked up person. I'm going to make you suffer to realize how fucked up mm-hmm. you are. Or I think like not not exactly a death game, but I think working on like the same kind of like log like logic positioning is like Death Note mm, is happening yeah. <laughs> right now. Which, like, which is not a death game, but it is very much about, like, very specifically logically orchestrated situations where one person gets to kind of, like, it's, it's like, what if, what if the death game was from the perspective of Jigsaw and he was, uh, <laughs> yeah. he was like a, he was like a pretty college boy with a, with a notebook, you mm-hmm. know? Um, if you think like the, like the inverse end of this, which I, I, I think is maybe useful because I, I think we're going to end up having, right? Cause yes, we were like doing this critical reading, but I also think what we think of, the purpose of the game 999 will be largely informed about by like formulating who zero is mm. and like what what their motives are because right. like, those are things we will learn extensively mm-hmm. these are really good pieces you've pulled out i think to compare against that Mm-hmm. I'd also really love if anyone can read the original text and wants to <laughs> give insight to the uh, the original statements here that we're kind of pulling against. That that'd be great. Um, I can't do that. <laughs> There's a lot of wordplay that is popular mm-hmm. in visual novels that is constantly remarked on as being difficult to translate. And like, as someone who like can't write or form sentences, but like I can i like can catch a few straight words because i've been like been around the japanese spoken language since um like being a baby like i i can like hear when that's happening right like i can hear when like two words that i know that kind of sound like each other are being like said one after another Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh there's something there i don't know what that means in terms of like a literary mode yeah for the language yeah that's there and especially not on this where there's no voice acting in this version so like you don't even have that to to go off of i do yeah i do know this game specifically when i was doing some light research seemed to have like a particularly weird translation experience where they had to like rewrite a lot of the game because they realized that like the twist hinges on wordplay that they had just just not really they not caught because they were translating like as they were playing through it which seems like a very silly way to do it <laughs> like maybe you should play through the game first or like so or like they should have given they should have given the localization team some notes about that they should they should give them like the cliff notes version it's like yeah i i don't know if this is this is actually true the wikipedia made it sound like it was just kind of like one person or like one or two people that were like translating yeah it does seem like a very 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 small localization yeah. team I, I'll, I'll pull that for next time along with um if you are playing the pc or ps4 port um i'll pull voice actors too just because i think it's interesting to think through who the who they pull for the seiyu for this game um and it's just fun to look at voice actors that specific translation thing is about like the first person not pronoun um because that's not exactly how japanese works but like uh the first person reflexive expression mm-hmm. that the that the narrator was using was kind of gendered in a specific way. Yeah, and I'm sure that'll make more sense to me uh, <laughs> later on in the game uh, when I can maybe figure out what that what that that thing is. What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> it means literally nothing to me right now. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I do think this is kind of like, I, I've been trying to figure out like how to talk about this game in like, I guess like more comprehensive or like critical lens rather than just sort of like, you know, I like this about this scene or I don't. Um, and right now the, like the main mode that I can kind of like trying to, to flesh out is, is sort of figuring out genre wise, like what is it sort of trying to say? It is kind of challenging in some ways because of how much of this game is mysterious and like unknown to kind of play it in this order. So yeah, gonna gonna try and return to this question because I, I do think this game is sort of in conversation or at least aware of of that as like a trope. So I imagine we'll have sort of more interesting things to say than wow, it says a lot about society. I, I should sincerely hope so anyway. <laughs> um, really makes you think. Yeah, really, really does. I guess the only last thing is is the uh sort of the ending that we got where we get knifed in the back. Uh, there's sort of an aside here that I thought was odd. Um, I don't really know what to make of it, and I assume I might see it again in future routes, but mm. it is June and Junpei are sort of running around together looking for Clover because she's run off, and they decide to split up to like cover more of the ship, and June comments to Junpei like oh I wish you wouldn't use our code names when it's just the two of us uh, which prompts Junpei to go on this sort of long aside about sort of the formality of all the different things he could call June um, and sort of deciding that it's it's easier to just use June but then I think relents and calls her I think Kenny the nickname uh I, I think he's I think this is an attempt um so in um when you are dating, <laughs> when you are dating, um, you either opt to use just the first name without an honorific, or like, um, I, I think in this situation, Akane is referring to the fact that he probably called her Akane-chan with that, with like, use the chan, that, that specific honorific when they were kids, and now he has been using, uh, like, Jun-san or Akane-san when, when spe- addressing her. And that that is what's happening. It's it's like kind of a romantic gesture, not necessarily. It's more generally about familiarity. I I guess it's a romantic bit. I guess it's a romance bit. It's, it seems like it. It's like yeah. It felt like a. I guess uh, to me, it just stood out as like a strange place to put it. <laughs> I guess like I guess it's, it's meant to sort of. It's his death flag. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that is what it is. I don't really have anything super like interesting to say about it. It just stood about out as like, wow, we're really talking a lot about names right now, just sort of while, while we're while we're trying to escape the ship, which I guess the game is sort of does all the time. You know, you have a dying death defying situation and we're going to stop and have a conversation about some unrelated stuff. I don't know. Maybe it'll go back. It is kind of an interesting or like a bit of characterization for June to sort of I guess reveal that she doesn't really care about the secrecy at all. Like she, like initially she was going to volunteer her name as because she had like revealed Junpei's name and Junpei kind of talked her away out of that for like the secrecy reasons. And here it's just like, actually, no, like call me, call me my name. I don't actually care about the secrecy or anything, which I mean, I think goes along kind of with, with June's character of much more interested in or and caring more about Junpei and what he's what's up with him and how he's thinking than it does, you know, me getting off the ship. Mm-hmm. 
And then he gets knifed. Then he gets just fucking stabbed in the back. You just get fucking stabbed. Yeah, we, we see we see Lotus has been stabbed, and there's a moment where he's like, it's like a bolded text, so you know you're like supposed to pay attention to it of who would benefit the most from having the eighth bracelet because Lotus has died and her bracelet is missing because uh, her heart rate dropped to zero. I tried to run the math on this, and I could not come up with any compelling reasons partially because it is unclear to me now if you are if when somebody blows up if their bracelet still works or not theoretically that could have you know there could be a nine and a two bracelet also floating around that's that's unclear to me now mm-hmm. um well let's just assume yes and run those numbers what's what's eight so that's eight and now you get june so uh junpei so that's five that's that's well, 13 well so for junpei it's interesting because the killer leaves before Junpei dies. So Junpei would still have his bracelet. There's like a scene of the killer entering the elevator and going up and then Junpei fades to black. So it's like, it's the eight bracelet and then it's potentially a two and a nine, which is one. Did you get rid of one if all of them were together? So they need eight again. So that wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. Or you need two people. Yeah, I mean, that is also interesting is I think there's um, an assumption for siblings that is true. Yeah. So there's like an I, I've been having sort of an trying to rack my brain about this and having the assumption of like it must be one person because you one person's in the elevator. But it is is entirely possible. You know, there's two do- two nine doors. It's entirely possible. There's two people involved in this murder. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't necessarily have a, a clear idea. Not not definitely not as clear as like. For when Snake dies, there are basically two combinations that could have opened the door. Assuming it's two people. If it's more than two people, then that's too many combinations for me to keep my head around. Um, <laughs> but I think this there's there is sort of more ambiguity here, which I which I like. I like that it is sort of setting up a problem for the player to solve that Junpei has no cannot solve because he is dying on the ground. Yes. Here's this piece to like understand to come back and like understand future routes by it. Yeah, and to like right. specifically like pay attention to this. Like we're bolding this text. Pay attention to this text when you're playing the game again to try and figure it out. I, I like the way that this game uses just slight text embellishment, like bolding certain phrases or like putting certain phrases inside of like I guess they're brackets. They look they're like two triangles stacked on top of each other. Is it this? Yeah, I don't I don't Yeah, yeah, that's 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 quotes. That's quotes in the Japanese digital keyboard. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, sort of like emphasizing different words in different ways so that mm-hmm. you kind of know to pay attention. Happening at the same time in visual novels right now is uh When the Seagulls Cry, which is a gigantic, maybe the most popular visual novel if you ask in like English speaking visual novel spaces, um, which is a game also about mysteries. And in, in that franchise, there's like this there's like so this meta narrative level where you're discussing with like witches about the murder that is happening in the book that are two separate levels and you discuss with the witches who are like no we're the murderers because we did it with magic and they'll be like well here's a fact and like say that say that they're saying it in red and then the characters understand that as truth it is like visually written in red for the player but then the characters discussing it okay in the meadow right it's like a a popular thing that like a lot of people are arriving at in visual novels Mm. at the same moment interesting I mean, it makes a lot of sense if, like, you have very limited visual and, like, spatial elements to work with. You know, you should you should emphasize typography 
because that's 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 your game basically that might be that might be it that might be all i have to say it's a good place to stop yeah yeah r.i.p junpei no reason to shoot in the dark a million times with like one route mm-hmm. on our on our backs you know yeah yeah no i'm sure uh we'll, we'll be back we'll be back soon so yeah what are we playing next time Next time, we are aiming for the sub route. Make of that what you will, <laughs> whatever that means. We'll be playing the doors uh, numbered five, three, and two. Awesome. And yeah, we forgot to do these initially. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm at Nate Kiernan. And you can also support Critical on Coffee um, at Critical or slash Critical. I don't know how coffee works. It's cough. It's like coffee.com slash and then your address. Okay. Yeah. All these links will be in the description anyway. And probably mm-hmm. most importantly, you can uh, read and find other podcasts and stuff on critical.com. If you somehow have found this show and don't know uh, what critical is, uh, welcome. Go check out uh, Go check out the site. Uh, what about you, Axe? You can find me on Twitter at wing underscore blade underscore or at coffee at wing gamer i have some writing on critical and you should just go to critical anyway because uh it covers and like speaks with a lot of people who are vital to the lifeblood of contemporary indie games very very fun to listen to you should also you also go support the critical um coffee and uh support nate paying me my wage of, of 12 <laughs> pence and eight shillings i'm the only i'm the only wage employee at, at, at critical um please help me i mean we uh we figured this out just based on you having 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 written two articles for for critical you have more stock invested than anybody else so you know as a as a shareholder of of critical mm. llc you have more sway and i need to make sure to appease the board so yeah God. uh <laughs> uh in lieu of uh having any established sign up catchphrase if you listen to this and you thought that something we said was funny let me know uh and then we'll be sure to say it at the end of every episode yeah, please request a catchphrase to or a sign off for us, and we'll just we'll just do it. We'll just do a different one each time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you have questions or comments, um, you can either post them in the Discord or ping one of us somewhere, or you can send questions to questions at critical dot com. Yeah. Please, uh, don't send in stuff that we haven't covered. I'm not holding uh Nate at gunpoint to not read spoilers, but um, uh, but it would be fun to yeah. keep keep that going as a bit. Yeah. I'm I'm reviewing the emails, so yeah, we will spoil stuff on the show, but do not spoil things for me if possible. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll come beat you. I'll 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 come put a bracelet on you and make you verify the red, and then shove you in and blow you up with a tiny bomb in your stomach. Yeah. Watch out. Until next time.